Well, we're working our way through the book of Revelation. This is part 14. And we've been looking at the antagonists to the Christian church throughout history and particularly in the last days. That's where we were coming at things in Revelation 12 with the dragon who's identified as Satan. And we're going to see some other characters as they are introduced. What every Christian needs to know about the Antichrist. Revelation 13, and we're going to look at 10 verses tonight, hopefully. John, of course, writes as he sees these these visions unfolding in front of him. And he's describing things as best he can describe them, although as, as you see what he's seeing, it's, it's no small undertaking to get this down in words that make sense to an audience. 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems, like crowns, on its horns, and and blasphemous names on its heads. Seven heads, blasphemous names on each one. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. To it, the dragon, that we know who that is, to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads, of this beast, one of its heads, there's seven of them, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed, allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven was also allowed to make war on the saints, and that's on earth, and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain, if anyone has ears, so that's us, Let him him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is the devil. He's clearly identified beyond any doubt. That's important, I think, and that's that's, uh, the revelation that John gets. that's, That's the way of unfolding the meaning behind these terrible events of the very last days. There's a spiritual side to this earthly persecution. We're not, as Paul taught earlier in Ephesians, we're not just wrestling against flesh and blood. We aren't now, 
and we won't be then in an even more dramatic sense. There are principalities involved. Satan himself is, is behind it all, and that's nowhere more true than, than in these last days. So we come to these first ten verses of chapter 13, and we learn something else. Something else really important. We learn... We learn that while Satan, that dragon, while he's behind many of the events of the last days, he, he does not do most of his work openly. He works through means. So, so he exercises control over other means, other agencies. He does that now, by the way. Um... Satan is least threatened when he's pictured as a devil with little red horns and a pointy tail and a pitchfork. That, that does nothing to hurt Satan. But when he can work through, when he can work through, through media, when he can work through personalities, when, we can work, when he can work through systems where, where people just think, well, man, I guess that's just, that's just the way things are in life. You know, it's really a bummer. Things are getting kind of tough. He's delighted to pull strings behind the scenes. You and I will never actually see in any, my belief, we will never see in any of the last days, for as long as we're here, we will never see a a big red dragon running around doing all sorts of satanic things. It's not going to happen. That's just the picture in John's vision. We'll never see, we'll never see a, a beast coming up with seven heads and crowns and leopard and lion and bear. We're not going to see that. He's giving us pictures of other things. Symbolic pictures of the other forces, the other personalities through whom the devil will work more strongly than ever in the last days. Almost all interpreters are agreed, almost all, that the first beast that John sees, not the dragon in 12, but this beast coming out of the sea, almost all interpreters from all persuasions, pre-trib, pre-millennial, post-millennial, mid-trib, post-trib, everybody agrees that this is in some way a representation of the Antichrist. Some people think the Antichrist is not going to be a specific person, but merely representative governments, powers, dictators, wicked powers that have manifested themselves down through history. Other people think of Antichrist as only being fulfilled in one end time person empowered and used by the devil. And so here we sit and people think, well, which, which is it? What are we talking about, Pastor Don? Let me give you my own feeling. My own feeling is if the New Testament is read carefully, both these ideas, I think, are absolutely essential in understanding the nature and role of, of uh, the Antichrist. Do you have those references from 1 John? I have one, two, three, four of them. Are they in your notes? Talk to me. Yes? 1 John 2.18. Let's read this out loud all together, okay? Children, 
it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. Okay, I'll read. 1 John 2, 21 to 23. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So we're not dealing with relativism here. Opposites can't both be true. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. 1 John 4, 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus, that does not confess Jesus, is not from God. That's really important. There are all sorts of religions today. All sorts of religions. There are new markets full of them. They come knocking to your door. And people who deny Jesus, God the Son, the Redeemer of the world, the Bible says it's not from God. You leave Jesus out and it's not from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, listen, which you have heard was coming, was coming, and now is in the world already. 2 John 1, 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, those are really interesting verses. John almost seems to be saying several things at the same time. And I think he is. We need to hold all of these truths in proper balance as we go back into Revelation. And I think you'll see why. Here's what I want to say. Some statements. A. Antichrist is coming, and yet many many antichrists have already appeared. I get that in 1 John 2.18, where he says, Children, it is the last hour. John wrote those words a long time ago. And then he says it's the last hour. The last hour is that, that closing phase where Christ has come in the flesh, the final manifestation of God's redemptive plan. It's the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now, as John writes those words, Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. So, however confusing that may seem to us at first glance, John insists that we hold on to this truth. There have been many Antichrists throughout the history of the church, and there is still Antichrist who is to come. And Both those concepts are important. I think you'll see in just a minute when you come to Revelation 13. You need both concepts to make sense of that chapter. B. There's a sense in which anyone who denies Jesus Christ as God's son. That's what come in the flesh means. The incarnation. Anyone who denies that is antichrist. That's that reference in 1 John 2, 21 to 23. 
I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. The truth he's talking about isn't just uh, two and two is four, uh, the force of gravity. Uh, the truth he's talking about is the truth of Christ come in the flesh. That's what he's writing about. You know that truth. Not because you do not know it, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. So there, there's false teachers coming already into the church. Well, how are they going to recognize? Who is the liar but he who denies Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So, so here we see um, what is going to be the developing emphasis of antichrist his preoccupation is to cause people to deny christ not religion not god not brotherly love christ come in the flesh to his his emphasis is to uh, undo distort the knowledge of jesus as the way the truth and the life that's what antichrist is all about See, he's described both as being a person, and this is, now you're getting really close to ground zero here. Described both as being a person and also a spirit at work in the hearts and minds of individuals. The important reference there was that one in 1 John 4, 2 and 3. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit, this is all about spirits. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. What you heard was coming. You've heard that. But he's, he's already here. Working in the hearts and minds of people, John says. So, so the work of Antichrist, it thrives long before the end time manifestation of Antichrist comes on the scene. People, people now are actually more loyal to the spirit of Antichrist than we would ever imagine. Like the world's getting ready for this. D. Sometimes many deceivers and false prophets are lumped in together by John and actually called the Antichrist. That's in 2 John 1, 7. For many deceivers, you see the many, a whole bunch of them, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who did not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one, you go, wait a minute, you said many. Strange, isn't it? Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Already at work through many spirits of deception. So, took quite a bit of time laying that background in our thinking about Antichrist, spirit of Antichrist, many Antichrists, the Antichrist. Which is it? Yes. It's, it's all of those things. It's all of those things. And, and you really can't, you can't just march into Revelation 13 and make sense of it unless you pull together some of those previous manifestations of Antichrist because they'll help you understand what John is going to say. So, point number one. But we're way over halfway done. The 
The beast is described in terms much like the great red dragon, but not exactly like him. I see that in Revelation 13, 1 and 2. John talks about what he's seeing. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems on its horns, blasphemous names on each of its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it, okay, the dragon, who's the dragon? That's Satan. To it, this beast, the dragon gave his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, the reason I took time to read that description again is, notice how it's, it's not exactly the same, but it bears the, the imprint. It's, it's similar to the description in John's vision of Satan in the previous chapter, chapter 12. Here's the way John saw the dragon. 12.3, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, listen, with seven heads, ten horns, on its heads, seven diadems. Do you see the similarity? It's almost, it's almost the same. And that similarity is, is, is not accidental. This beast coming up out of the sea, it's similar in description to Satan because, remember, it's a vision. He doesn't see words, he's just seeing pictures. So how would you show, how would you show visually that this beast is empowered by Satan? Well, the way you would show it is, you would have similar traits. The things that you saw in this one, you would see in this one. Does that make sense? And so the description is very, very similar. This is going to enable Antichrist to do some absolutely incredible things. There is undeniably, I can't explain it, but there's no denying that there's this definite supernatural element to the works of Antichrist. They'll they'll be very enticing and very deceiving to Christians who are not grounded in doctrinal truth. Christians who don't take the time to work through the book of Hebrews or the book of Romans. I'm so struck by Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians 2. We looked at them when we were considering the rapture. But in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 to 12, Paul talks, I think, about the very same personality, this Antichrist. He says in verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians 2, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with his breath, the breath of his mouth, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So we know how this is going to end up. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Do you see that? It's exactly the same as John says in his vision, right? This beast is empowered by Satan. The similarity in the descriptions. Now Paul is saying exactly the same thing as John says. This lawless one is by the activity of Satan. He's behind him. With all power and false signs and wonders underlined and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because because they refuse to love the truth and be saved therefore god not satan now therefore god 
sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The, the main thing to notice there is Antichrist is going to come on the scene just as John revealed and Paul says the same thing and he will be empowered. He's going to do amazing things. He'll, he will have incredible solutions to problems that no one else has been able to solve and there is nothing more attractive than that. That gets votes and it gets money and it gets support. He's going to be amazing in, in, in what he can accomplish. Supernatural things. Miraculous looking things. And this is going to cause many people who don't love the truth. They, they, they might think they love God, but they don't love the truth about God. It's going to cause a lot of them to be confused. Well, look, look. Look at the signs. I know he's not big on Jesus, but look. Point number two. Something else I want you to see, and I, mm, I really wrestled how much of this to go into. I'm just going to touch on it, but I want you to see something because it relates to an important point. The description of this beast from the sea in Revelation 13, when you, when you look for it, it's really a compilation of these four beasts that Daniel saw in his prophetic vision. And we shouldn't just skip over this. I'm just going to touch on it, okay? Revelation 13, 1 and 2. The part that you need to focus on is verse 2. The beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now, Daniel gets this vision. I don't know if you remember it. We'll study this one day. Of the end times. Here's, here's what Daniel sees. Daniel 7, verses 2 to 8. Stay with me now, because this is uh, it's kind of important. Daniel declared, he's explaining now, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up a great sea. Okay, Revelation 13. Where does the beast come from? And four great beasts. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before John sees his vision. Four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first, get it, was like a lion. Had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up from the ground, made to stand on two feet like a man. The mind of a man was, was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. Now, you get more details in Daniel. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. This Antichrist is going to be persecuting, see? After this, I looked to behold another, like a leopard. Are you seeing the similarity with these animals? They're exactly the ones that John sees and associates with Antichrist. A leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions. And behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. Listen, ten horns 
And behold, there came up from among them another little horn, which was a little one before which, sorry, three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now, there's a lot of details there. But it, it gets important to remember the similarity between this vision John sees in Revelation 13 with these beasts specifically mentioned, the lion, the bear, the leopard, and Daniel. Because later in Daniel, here's the difference. Later in Daniel, we get the interpretation to his vision. And those beasts, do you remember any of this? Those beasts are empires. They're identified. Greece, Mesopotamia. They're specifically named. You don't have to guess what these animals are in Daniel's vision because he gets the interpretation and these empires are named. So remember that as we start looking at Revelation chapter 13. Because Daniel saw four great world powers coming on the scene. And the significant thing about the beast from the sea in Revelation 13, he's an amalgamation, right? He's an amalgamation of the traits of the creatures in Daniel's vision. The exact same animal-like descriptions are given. Leopard, bear, and lion, and then a creature with ten horns. The same in both accounts. Here's what I see in that. Remember what we said earlier, Antichrist. There's been many Antichrists, John says. There's been the spirit of Antichrist operating in the world. Remember this? And then there's still going to be Antichrist. And I said, you need to remember that if you're going to make sense of Revelation 13. And what I see in this beast in Revelation 13, when you link it up with Daniel, and Daniel tells us that these animals are are empires, earthly empires under earthly leaders. So, there have been manifestations of the power of Antichrist throughout history in great world powers. That's not to say that's all that there will be. There is Antichrist still to come. But there have been manifestations. We've seen... This is what, this is what John is getting in this uh, vision in Revelation 13. Empires have come and gone. They've used their powers against God and against his people. It's happened over and over again. So the end time Antichrist is going to be the ultimate expression... Of this world's power system, focused under a person, given divine strength and power by Satan himself. Point number three. And I think what I just said helps explain this in a way that makes more sense to me. There's this mortal wound and the return to life. It's talked about in 13.3 of Revelation. One of its heads, so it's not the whole, it's not Antichrist himself, but one of these heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. I can still remember when, oh man, I saw articles in magazines, all sorts of religious magazines. I heard John Hagee and other guys on TV. Do you remember Gorbachev when he had that mark on his head? And they were just absolutely certain that this was Antichrist because something to do with this head thing and here's a guy, he seems to fit plus he's Russian, you know must be 
I'm dreadfully afraid of stuff like that. Just wingy stuff. A lot of people think that this is a reference to the death of one person, the physical death of one person and a resurrection from the dead. So the physical Antichrist in the last days, he dies and he's risen from the dead. It's a possibility. I don't buy it personally. I don't think the context requires it. Especially when one considers that John has just set the description of the end time Antichrist in the context of these global powers from Daniel. I mean, where they're identified clearly in Daniel as empires, nations, governments, leaders. So it seems to me there's a better way to handle that third verse. And I would do it like this. John's description of the Antichrist, it's framed in the context of Daniel's vision of world empires, governments, power structures. So, the future rise of Antichrist will be something like the rise of these world powers. But one that we haven't seen yet, strongly constructed and organized against Christ's church. So in other words, I think we're probably to understand that while one of the heads of John's beast from the sea perishes, it's going to experience in some form a revival, a resurrection, a resurgence. So there's going to come a resurrection of such a worldly governing power or body and its rise to power is going to amaze people. It will be something they thought could never happen again in world history. Pick a horrible event. And I'm not, I'm not using these events except just to illustrate. It'll be something like the Holocaust would be a good example. Just something that we thought, wow, how can this possibly happen? But we've seen examples of it throughout history. I think that's what John is trying to teach us. Only it will be intensified in the last days. Did I just make sense to you? The early church would have read this and they would have thought of Nero. For sure, they would have thought of Nero. While Paul does most of his work and while John does most of his work, Nero was lining up Christians on the streets into Rome, covering them with pitch and setting them on fire as they had celebrations to light up the streets at night. The rise of Antichrist will come in a world power out of which the end-time Antichrist is going to gain a natural platform, a natural voice. It will dominate the world's scene, and it sets up the kind of adoration that John's going to describe. Point number four. I'm almost done. Are you, still, are you okay still? All right. Look at verse four, and they worship the dragon. Now, there's not a red dragon there. These aren't people that are Satan worshippers in the way that we think of Satan worshippers. But, but that's what they're doing, you see. They worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed... Notice how it's called it over and over. It's very interesting. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It's not going to be forever. The power is going to be short-lived. 
It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. So the Antichrist and his underlings, they will enjoy great success, great power, great influence. It'll be marked by supernatural manifestations and incredible arrogance. I see that in verses 5 and 6. When John says that Antichrist will speak blasphemies against God and will blaspheme his name, he, he doesn't mean that the beast is going to stand up and curse God. What he means is something very different. He means he will get up and speak as though he is God. That's what he means. He's going to claim the kind of worship and adoration that properly belong to God alone. And if you... If you don't see that our, our culture is training us to idolize the things of this world, celebrities and superstars that don't even know how to keep their pants on are idolized by hundreds of millions. So please don't tell me, Pastor Don, people are never going to be this gullible. They are. We're being trained for this by the spirit of Antichrist already at work in the world. This is where it's going. Five. We must never forget that John's description in this chapter only describes what seems to be the whole picture on the earthly side of this great battle. It looks awfully hopeless. You read verse 7 there. It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them and authority was given it. Over every tribe, people, language, nation. But we're supposed to notice this time span again, 42 months. We've already been given a clue that the final end is in God's hand. Do you remember last week we studied this where Satan waiting for the Messiah in this picture of this dragon waiting for this birth of this baby? Remember and the dragon wanting to gobble it up? We studied that last Sunday night. 12.5, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So the, this, the lamb already rules. The battle is already won. 12.11, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they loved their lives, loved not their lives even unto death. John underscores the final victory at the close of his description of Antichrist. 13, 9, and 10. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here's, here's a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Two thoughts. Endurance and faith. Endurance because... Endurance because more and more... 
already. Our culture will not tolerate absolute devotion to Jesus Christ in terms of public values and proclamation. We're not headed there. We are there. We are there. If you're planning, you're a university student, a college student, a business person, and you're planning on planting the flag and flying absolute loyalty to Jesus in every department of your life, our culture does not tolerate you. And it's going to intolerate you less and less. The days of following Jesus like my mom and dad followed Jesus are over. It will start to cost now. And that's only going to intensify. Perseverance, endurance, and then, and then faith. I read that part in 2 Thessalonians 2. It talks all this stuff that we've read. It, it can be a depressing study until you read Jesus when he comes and it says whom he's going to instroy, destroy with the breath of his coming. This, this, I don't know how you picture Armageddon like God and Satan duking it out and boy, I sure hope we win. What I read, the breath of his coming, when, when, when our Lord comes for his own and all of the chaos that has been building up, when our Lord comes to do away with it all, it's not going to be a big bloody battle. He's going to come and go, like you blow out the candles on a birthday cake. And it will be over. And he will reign and rule forever and ever. Don't you wish we could all do the hallelujah chorus? And he shall reign forever. Yeah, but we can't. Forget that. That would be the great tribulation right there if we all tried to sing that. Let's stand together.